If your AC is blowing hot air, let O'Reilly Auto Parts help bring back the cool this summer. While you may need to eventually service your AC unit, get immediate relief with Interdynamics Arctic Freeze R134A refrigerant with leak sealer for $32.99. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Trust, a non-profit, non-political, and non-sectarian organization on the roster of the Economic and Social Council of the United Nations and concerned with the establishment of world cooperation and goodwill presents Inner Sight with your host, Robert Anderson. He, with Sarah and Dale McKechnie, President and Vice President of Lucis Trust, We'll discuss philosophical and spiritual topics essential to everyday life. Now, here's your host, Robert Anderson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Inner Sight. Today's show is Alice Bailey, Part 2. And we're taking a look at her life, her autobiography, which so many people have bought and enjoyed. And we're going to explore her life. And I, I think more importantly is something we can all relate to. Have you ever... Have you ever come across someone in life who you were highly interested in and someone who uh, you were you strongly felt something for them or admired them in some way? And have you ever thought to yourself, how did that person ever reach this particular state of mind, state of being? How did her personality get molded in such a way to make her the type of person that she eventually became? Well, that particular that particular subject was presented to Alice Bailey and... She stopped for a while, and she began to write her autobiography, and one of the thoughts that motivated her was the idea of explaining to people how she developed as a person, and so many people had asked her. She had gone through so many challenges in life, and the question was, how did you, Alice, how did you get from point A to all the way over here down the road where you became so radically different in so many ways, viewed uh, life in a totally different perspective, and had... Um, uh, great changes in perceptions about reality and truth. How did you get that way? So Alice Bailey did us all a favor, and she wrote her autobiography more or less with that particular idea in mind of how she became uh, the person that she eventually became. And and to put it in her own words, uh, let me quote from her book. A friend of mine felt that I would really render a service if I could show people how I become, how I became what I am from what I was. It might be useful to know how, to, how a Christian worker could become a well-known esoteric teacher. People might learn much by discovering how a theologically-minded Bible student could come to the firm conviction that the teachings of the East and of the West must be fused and blended before the true and universal religion for which the world waits could appear on earth. Well, to begin with, can you briefly summarize what we talked about in the first program on Alice Bailey? We started out with a description of her early years um, because it, it does define her, her foundation. She was English by birth, and she was born in 1880 into a, an upper-class family in Britain. She was orphaned at an early age, the age of nine, and after that grew up really divided between two households of her family, her relatives, 
one household um, more uh, broad-minded in the religious sense and part of her year spent with the other part of the family which was much more fundamentalist in, in the Christian uh, religion. She was tutored and given extremely um, uh, excellent education, a private education, and was um, raised to be the upper-class young lady of Victorian times, which means that she was extremely sheltered and um, isolated from a lot of the world's realities. When she was a young woman, she uh, had such a fervent religious belief that she was drawn into missionary work, and she went to India to be a kind of a missionary to the British soldiers stationed throughout India, she um, found that this was her first really life-opening experience because she met many different people of different classes as well as encountering the, the life of India, which she loved. And while she was there, she fell in love with a soldier who was not of her class, and uh, she married him. The family was not happy about that, and they sent the young couple to the United States to for him to study at Lane Theological Seminary in Ohio, and he became a, a minister in the the Anglican Church, which is called the Episcopalian uh, faith in this country. And after he had his seminary education, they went to California and lived in a number of different small towns throughout California. She had three daughters uh, in rather rapid succession, but at the same time, great personal difficulties with her husband because it developed that not only was he a minister, he was a wife-beater. And uh, she had really terrible experiences trying to work out a relationship with him. The town in which she lived knew about it. His um, superiors in the church knew about it, and it was an extremely difficult situation. Finally, she was able to separate from him, but at the cost of uh, becoming impoverished, and she ended up so destitute in rural California in the early part of the 20th century that she had to go to work in a sardine canning factory. She had no other life abilities. As a, an upper-class British woman, she knew how to make lace, and that was about it. So she went to work in a sardine canning factory, and she reached a point in her spiritual life where she felt her Christian faith had just not enough to sustain her. She, Her foundation was really knocked away from her through her suffering. Um, and that was what opened her heart and mind and soul to a new view of spiritual reality. Yes, it's along about that time that she uh, became um, interested in um, what is known as theosophy. And she met a couple of elderly ladies who had... Uh, studied with the founder of Theosophy, and uh, so she <clears throat> began to take an interest, and in, uh, she really began to grow. I think it's at that point where she discovered she had a mind, mm -hmm. as she said, and um, she began to exercise and use her mind. And um, She read widely. Yeah, and uh, then she became very active in the Theosophical Society there in Southern California, and uh, became a lecturer and uh, a counselor and teacher in theosophy and um, that was the the beginning of the kind of the second part of her life it was a big turning point in her life around age 35 
maybe we should take a minute to explain what theosophy is. In essence, it's the the study of world religion, world faiths, which incorporates both the Eastern and Western spiritual traditions, uh, particularly the the more hidden or esoteric uh, uh, religious or spiritual teaching, which runs through many of the world's faiths. Judaism, Islam, Christianity, all have an esoteric tradition, and theosophy focuses on that. Right, and um, so her work was um, <clears throat> very much involved in theosophy, and that's, uh, in fact, where she met her second husband uh, while working in the Theosophical Society, her husband, uh, Foster Bailey. And uh, they were... Uh, planning to be married, but uh, just about that time the war came along, and um, so that disrupted a, a lot of the uh, activity of the uh, of the work that they did. But uh, also it was that time that um, she began to do her real work in life and to begin to write the books that we now know as the Alice Bailey books, the 24 volumes of esoteric philosophy. And uh, that's a very rather interesting uh, uh, time when she met this uh, person which had uh, been referred to as the Tibetan. Having read the autobiography myself, I was very impressed by her sense of ethics and uh, how she was so strongly dedicated to never betraying the best within her. And uh, whenever she was presented with any type of uh, conflict, whether it was moral or what road to take in life that always impressed me that her first, when she was confused, she would always say, well, what would Christ do in this particular situation? And whatever answer she came up with uh, would be the path that she would follow. So she was a person uh, who I looked upon when I came away from uh, from the autobiography. I looked upon her as being highly spiritual, highly uh, moral, and someone who, was, who f- constantly uh, uh, followed the best within herself. Can you describe how Alice Bailey and the Tibetan worked together and why he chose her as his secretary? Well, this was um, prearranged, actually. Um, when I say prearranged, it was prearranged on the inner side at her soul level. Um, it's difficult to explain that, but uh, let's just say it was prearranged. And... Uh, well, I think people can understand that in the sense that we each of us come into this life with um, a mission or a plan mm-hmm. or purpose which our soul seeks to work out through the circumstances of our life. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. And uh, so this um, person, this source that actually dictated the books to her, or most of the books, who turned out to be a Tibetan lama, now, this was not a um, discarnate being. He was a living uh, person, a flesh-and-blood person, who, who uh, lived, as he describes it, on the borders of Tibet. And he, he was an abbot in a lamasery. And um, <clears throat> he contacted her mentally, through the mind, through her mind. And um, so the contact was what they call telepathy. Now... We might think that this is kind of kind of spooky, but it isn't. It, it's a very common uh, way of communicating. Um, most people um, have a 
this capability themselves. We just don't realize it. We have. Um, Usually, it's on the level of knowing somebody's going to telephone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. But we've all had the experience of uh, having the same thought. Two people having the same thought at the same time. Usually a very mundane thought. Yeah. One person <laughs> expresses an idea or a thought, and the other person says, yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Well, And then both conclude <clears throat> great minds think alike. This is, yeah, this is the, um, essentially what this is, is two minds that are vibrating in sync. Yeah, I think this, this is the way I understand it. Uh, I'm not telepathic, but... Uh, this is the way I understand it, that there is a synchronicity between the two minds because every mind has a vibration rate. And when they're in sync together, then um, these ideas can pass and thoughts and understanding can pass between people at the same time. And uh, I think this is essentially the way that the this Tibetan Lama uh, <coughs> contacted Alice. He was able to synchronize his mind with hers, and uh, over the years they worked this way, they became very close, and they built up a very close relationship. And uh, so he was able to uh, <clears throat> project words, his thoughts, into her mind, and uh, she was able to attune to his mind, and she was able to bring through and could register these thoughts and write them down very carefully, and he would drop them into her mind. and. Uh, she would uh, write them down, and, and that's essentially how they worked for 30 years. And maybe we should stress the fact that Alice had an extraordinarily clear, lucid, fluid mind, uh, lest people think, well, that would be interesting for me to attempt to do. She really had an extraordinary mind, we're told, by those who knew her well. It was very well stocked through her tutor tutoring as a young woman and her wide, wide reading she read virtually all the Hindu texts, the Upanishads, the secret doctrine, the Bible she knew backwards and forwards. So her mind was well prepared for this work they did together. Right. And um, she was very well suited. So it, it was a very close and a um, warm relationship. And I'd just like to say that I think what, what carries the thoughts is this relationship of love. They had a very close, warm relationship, and it's as long as there is love there, then there will be this communication, because love acts like a carrier wave mm -hmm. for our thoughts. So you think that the love has to be present for people to have a telepathy between them? I think so. There has to be a good more, uh, relationship there for a real good, accurate uh, contact, I would say. And, and what's amazing is that uh, she wrote 24 volumes of books that are highly interesting. And believe me, if you want to know more about yourself, the nature of reality, man's place in the universe, these books are certainly worth reading. And the good news, too, is if you order them directly from Lucis Trust, you can get a 10% discount, providing that you order all 24 volumes. You can order them individually and of course, the one I think that we're going to uh, recommend today is the autobiography of Alice Bailey because that's the subject of our discussion. If you'd like to give us a call and order the books, uh, please do so with the following number, 1-866-695-8247. Once again, 1-866-695-8247. An easy way to remember it 
is if you think of this, one eight six six N Y Lucis L U C I S. Think of New York Lucis. And our website is www.lucistrust, that's one word, lucistrust.org. Our email is newyork at lucistrust.org. And we also want to remind you that uh, we stay on the air, we stay with this program uh, as a consequence of your generous donations. And, of course, it helps to order the books, but uh, the donations are certainly worthwhile and it helps keep this interesting show on the air. So... Once again, we're back to talking about Alice Bailey, and you said that she had two life projects. Could you explain what these were? Yes, well, Dale um, uh, mentioned that when he said that she came into life, uh, into this life with this uh, relationship with the Tibetan teacher already established. Uh, all of us, uh, as I said, I think have a uh, an agenda that our soul hopes to accomplish through our our living. And her her plan, her soul's plan, included the writing of these books with the Tibetan teacher, which uh, took 30 years of uh, work, and which, um, when the last book was completed, she died within the month. Mm-hmm. The other uh, project that her soul ordained for her was the establishing of a an esoteric school. Uh, and she did. She established it in the early 1920s, and it's called the Arcane School. It's still in existence. It conducts, uh, it offers spiritual training uh, and training in meditation, leading to a life of service. The work is offered in English, uh, German, French, Dutch, Spanish, Italian, Greek, and most recently we've opened a Russian section. Uh, this is an extraordinary accomplishment on its own, the Arcane School. She began uh, with a, a little group of about ten men who wanted to study with her because, as I mentioned earlier, she was very learned in the secret doctrine, which is the major uh, work of, the, of theosophy, as well as having a, a, a deep understanding of Hindu spiritual texts and of the Christian Bible and so on. So she began a little reading um, group with them. They would meet in her office in New York City. This started, I think, in about 1921, and they would meet once a week. Then when she went away for the summer to Long Island, she began to write them letters on a regular basis, giving them more instruction. And so you can see that the Arcane School began from something very small and uh, and um, kind of humble in its mm-hmm. origins. It's uh, a remarkable project because the work is conducted entirely on the level of the soul, you could say. There are not classes offered where people come together in an outer way. I think this was probably the result of her experience with theosophy, wouldn't you say? Yes. Um, <clears throat> she had some rather unusual and maybe bad experiences with theosophy, they, but you don't need to get into that. But uh, that's one reason why she established a correspondence school. The, the school was done entirely through the mail. She set it up that way, and that's the way it's still uh, carried on today, is by correspondence. And that's why we're able to uh, reach uh, many, many thousands of students all over the world, and literally in many different languages. So, 
Why the word arcane? Why did she use that? Why did she choose that word? That uh, supposedly was the name that uh, Helena Blavatsky, the founder of Theosophy, had hoped to give to her esoteric school, and that particular school was never realized uh, in Blavatsky's time. But Alice, uh, when she formed her school, gave it the name Arcane School. Arcane meaning hidden or mm. uh, removed from sight. It refers to the ageless wisdom and to the esoteric strain of teaching which I said runs throughout all the major world religions. It's not hidden in the sense that you don't have access to this knowledge, but it's hidden in the sense that you have to seek it out and through study and pondering, meditation and reflection, gain an understanding of it. It's not easily accessible. So in that sense, it's arcane. And the school is intended to develop um, adult men and women to become uh, disciples, which means, uh, the word means literally, learning boy. A disciple is one who is learning and who applies that spiritual learning in service. Yes, that's uh, <clears throat> service is one of the three pillars of the school, which is uh, study, meditation, and service. And these are the three things that we uh, emphasize in the school work, uh, in the development of this discipleship as a way of life. Uh, it isn't uh, necessary that one uh, withdraw from life. In fact, it's recommended that you stay active in life mm -hmm. and become an active disciple, uh, learning boy in the world, and you learn about the world and about the, the uh, energies and forces that uh, uh, govern the world and try to see the world in those terms. She also, um, uh, throughout her life, traveled and lectured widely. She traveled throughout Europe. Uh, and uh, spent a great deal of time in the United Kingdom. Every summer for many years, she would give classes and lectures in Switzerland. Um, she was said to be a superb public speaker. She also wrote her own books in addition to writing these books uh, for the, the Tibetan teacher. She wrote her own books, and they're still in print. One book is From Bethlehem to Calvary, which is a study of the life of Jesus, um, in the sense of the uh, path of initiation, which uh, uh, traces the events in Jesus' life and development to the, pa the spiritual path of initiation. Another is From Intellect to Intuition, which is a book on meditation, and it's uh, one of our bestsellers. Another book, Consciousness of the Atom, was based on a series of lectures that Alice gave in New York on, on the atom, and it's absolutely fascinating. A fourth book that she wrote is The Soul and Its Mechanism, which is a, an in-depth study of the personality and the, the vehicles, so to speak, the mind, the emotions, and the physical etheric body through which the soul manifests. And uh, another book is Labors of Hercules, which is a series of lectures she gave on astrology. She also wrote a commentary on the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which is one of the great Hindu texts. This is called Light of the Soul. Yes, she wrote a whole series of, as we say, the, the 24 books. And uh, uh, what they are is actually tools for living. And uh, they really open a window into this inner world that 
leads to a, a tremendously deeper understanding of our relationship to God and our reason for being in the world at this time and serving the, the plan of God. I think that's what's really uh, important to me as I understand it. And just a comment, this is we're not a religion, that's one of the most frequent questions, and uh, to be a part of us, it's very simple really, what uh, Lucis Trust advocates is that you read the literature, and I'm not even sure if that's necessary, but uh, mainly go out there and do good works, experience the joy of service, that's very important, and if you'd like a general package of information about Lucis Trust, or if you would like to find out more about her literature, perhaps order it, give, give us a call at one eight six six ny lucis Think of New York Lucis. It's one eight six six ny lucis uh, How did she view the modern spiritual seeker's orientation or needs? Well, I think this is one of the most interesting um, aspects of Alice Bailey's contribution. She understood and... Um, spoke to the Western spiritual seekers' needs. Uh, I think that it's been a common assumption that one has to go to the East and sit at the feet of an Eastern teacher to receive spiritual training. And certainly that is one method, and many people from the West do that. But Alice Bailey designed a form of training through the Arcane School and through her own writings that speaks to the needs of uh, the Western spiritual seeker, meaning the person who lives in the very active, uh, pressured, materialistic, uh, highly mentally developed atmosphere of Western life. She understood that uh, the modern spiritual seeker is not a, a baby and doesn't need a, a guru, a teacher guiding him, but has mm -hmm. the soul within to lead that person forward and through meditation to come into contact with the soul, the first master, the master in the heart. Mm -hmm. What's so unique about Alice Bailey's life? What would you say is unique about it? Oh, there are so many things. One was that she was a woman. Another, that she was a devout Christian from um, a very narrow fundamentalist background who was broken open, you could say, by life experience and hardship. She had an extremely clear and uh, lucid mind. She carried on her work in spite of a great deal of physical hardship. She was very, very ill the last ten years of her life, and as I said, died within the month after having completed the last book. She had a very clear sense of hierarchy and of humanity's spiritual readiness to take part in God's plan for our world. Uh, she she was very active at a time of world war, and uh, she did her very best to encourage the United States' entrance into the war because she saw clearly that it was a fight of the forces of darkness and light. Yes, and that's one reason, I think, why um, so much <coughs> in their books uh, that there is so much emphasis on the need for goodwill and right human relations in the world. And that's a theme that runs through all of the books because uh, they were written during these, these very difficult years between two wars, World War One and World War Two. And uh, in fact, uh, goodwill was such a uh, an issue with them that she she made this statement once that goodwill has to come first if there is ever to come peace, to come to peace, and it has been 
this has been forgotten. People have attempted to initiate a period of peace before there has been any demonstration of goodwill. And there can be no peace until goodwill is a conditioning factor in all human relations. It has to it has to be in the heart. The goodwill for one's fellow man, for humanity, has to be in the heart first before we can ever have peace. Have peace. Yeah. And I think she's absolutely right about that. And in closing, we invite you to ponder on this thought. Goodwill is the touchstone that will transform the world. Goodwill is love in action. It is the energy that draws us together in right relationship. There's a world prayer called the Great Invocation. It's a call for light, love, and goodwill to flow into the world and into our hearts. Let's listen for a moment to these powerful words. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. is blowing hot air, let O'Reilly Auto Parts help bring back the cool this summer. While you may need to eventually service your AC unit, get immediate relief with Interdynamics Arctic Freeze R134A refrigerant with leak sealer for $32.99. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.